The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. This morning for our scripture, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. You know, as we consider everything that's going on in the world, and as we consider the terrorist attacks that recently happened in Paris, and really the terrorist attacks that are happening all around the world, we have to remind ourselves that the only answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we consider everything that's taking place, and as maybe we're more aware of what's taking place this month, I can't think of a better emphasis to have than worldwide missions and getting the gospel all around the world. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, verse number 9. The Bible says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that ye, through his poverty, might be rich. This morning, pastor is going to come and preach a message simply entitled Grace Giving. Uh, As Pastor Nick was saying a minute ago, during the month of November, uh, here at Ambassador Baptist Church, we're focusing on the subject of global missions. And so on Sunday evenings, we've had the opportunity uh, to meet many of the missionaries from around the globe that we personally have the privilege of supporting on a regular basis. And so we've been able to meet Uh, a missionary that goes to the 1040 window, China, Cambodia, some of those eastern countries. Last week, we had the wonderful privilege of meeting one of our missionaries uh, from Mexico. And uh, for those of you who were here last Sunday evening, just an incredible testimony uh, that he shared with us about what God's doing and the churches that are getting planted and the children that are being helped. And he took the opportunity just to say thank you. Uh, to the Ambassador Baptist Church for our uh, commitment, for our willingness to sacrifice and be a part of their ministry. And and one of the hallmarks of Ambassador Baptist Church has always been our heart uh, to give. And uh, much like we preach about giving uh, from the Word of God, we want to be a church that demonstrates that and exemplifies that as well by giving. And uh, we are so blessed and privileged to be able to support so many missionaries. Uh, Many of these missionaries work with orphans in third world countries. Uh, Others of them work in areas to provide schools uh, and colleges to help educate uh, individuals in third world countries. Of course, as always, our emphasis is getting the gospel of Jesus Christ through local churches uh, in these regions. And so our funds are able to be pulled together in order to make these things a reality literally across the world. And so today we're going to focus a little bit on the nuts and bolts of how that happens through the Ambassador Baptist Church. How is it that we get involved, even on a financial level, to make some of these opportunities a very real reality? And uh, we're going to kind of dive into that. Probably the hallmark passage on this particular subject is found in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter number 8 and chapter number 9. Uh, To give you a little background here, the Apostle Paul is in the process of raising money to raise funds for his mission endeavors. Uh, As we heard last week, many of these missionaries, uh, they're not independently wealthy. It's not like they have huge, you know, uh, kind of war chests of funds to go out and plant these churches and start these orphanages and get these schools going. They really depend on the church in America uh, to really be that which will send them forth, both through prayer and through financial giving. And, And one of the things that was said to us two weeks ago, for those of you who were here on that Sunday evening, 
our missionary uh, to the 1040 window, he said, one of the things I'm praying for the Ambassador Baptist Church is that you would remain strong, strong in your faith, strong in your witness, so that you can continue to be a part of what God is doing literally around the world. And I was so encouraged by that. So this morning, we're going to take some time just to walk through this passage. It's going to be somewhat of a Bible study of sort as we just move through and start with verse number one and make our way through these couple of chapters because I want you to understand what's going on, even from a very scriptural, biblical perspective here, and really want to show you that this thing of giving above and beyond our general giving through the church to mission endeavors is a very scriptural, it's a very biblical thing that's been taken place all the way since the time of the Apostle Paul. So here in this passage, the Apostle Paul's raising money for his missions endeavors. Specifically, he's raising funds for the church at Jerusalem. And uh, this particular church uh, in Corinth, uh, they had promised a year earlier that they were going to be a part, that they were going to extravagantly give toward this project. It's been a year now, and that has not taken place. And so the Apostle Paul, in the middle of his letter, here in verse number 8, he begins to write, and notice what he says here in verse number 1. He says, Brethren, we do you to wit, that word wit, we don't maybe use that word in our common vernacular much anymore. It would just simply be to know. And so he's saying here, brethren, we do want you to know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And so basically Paul's going to start this thing out as he's talking to the church at Corinth. And he's going to remind them of some other churches in Philippi and uh, some other churches in Berea. I don't know if we have a map of this, guys, just to kind of give you an idea. So this particular letter is being written to the church at Corinth, all right? That's down in Greece. And uh, he is saying in verse number one here, he's saying, I want to remind you, I want you to know, Paul's saying, about the grace that has been given to the churches here, up here uh, in this region of the world called Macedonia. In these churches, Thessalonica, the church at Philippi, the church at Berea. And, and what, what kind of grace did God give these churches? What, what grace is being spoken of? Uh, just to kind of give you maybe quickly a little background here, uh, Macedonia up in the northern regions of our particular map was a beautiful area of land. It centered on the plains of Thessalonica here. It was a very prosperous area running up the great river valleys into the Balkan mountains. It was famous for its timber and precious metals. It was a very wealthy area of the world. And so Paul now is seeking to motivate the Corinthians who are down south by making reference to a long-standing competitor. Now, if you know the history between Greece here and Macedonia, uh, you'll know that they went through seasons where they were literally at war. And uh, he's making reference to this. Greece, which is where Corinth is located, and Macedonia, which was often called the barbaric north, by the Grecians, by the Corinth, they, they really referred to the northern folks as barbarians, had a lengthy history of political rivalry, all right? And so, although Philip of Macedon united Greece through brute force in 338 B.C., it, its union wasn't destined to last. And so there was just this, there's this kind of tension that existed between Greece 
and Macedonia here. And so Paul is going to kind of play on that a little bit. He, he's going to kind of speak to this, and uh, now he's going to put forward uh, a competition of, of a different sorts, all right? And so he's, rather than focus on the political kind of rivalry that exists, he's going to say, hey, I want to I tell you about what those barbarians, what God's grace is doing in their heart and in their life. And so he goes to verse number two. He says, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, notice this, and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. There, we could say it this way, we would use the phrase maybe of their generosity. And so here in verse number two, we're seeing the Apostle Paul, he says, these churches in Macedonia, these churches up in the north, they are going through some incredible, incredible trials. Uh, The word that's used here is the same word that the Apostle Paul would often use when he was speaking of his own persecution. And so literally what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth is he's saying, I want to remind you of God's grace to these churches up in Macedonia. He says they are going through some persecution and they were experiencing persecution for their faith. Uh, much like we talked about last year, uh, last week, uh, with much of the persecution that exists around the world, there was much persecution taking place in Macedonia during this time. People were being tortured, uh, people were being kind of belittled, they were being even martyred for their faith, and so we see Paul is saying, even in their affliction, he says they're experiencing an abundance of joy. Now that's strange, isn't it? Most of the time when we think about people having joy, we think of that joy being equated with good circumstances. And yet as the Apostle Paul continues to preach, he brings out again and again that joy is often not anchored to circumstances being the way we would want or what we would want. He says joy is anchored to something deeper. It's anchored to something more, and that's what he's saying here. They're experiencing an amazing amount of grace, even in the midst of this persecution, even in the midst of this affliction, even in the midst of these testings and trials. They were experiencing persecution physically, uh, this verse alludes to, as well as financially. Uh, These churches were extremely poor because of some of the decisions that were made. You've got to understand, in this day and age, when people would be baptized, when they professed Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, it wasn't just like somebody teased them. Oftentimes, they would be dist, uh, you know, uh, what's the word, they, from their families, and they would be ostracized from them, and, and oftentimes, they would lose their employment, and so because of this, these churches, these individuals who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they were often, often very poor because of it. Not always the case, but definitely here in the, in the case of the church at Macedonia, and so it says here, they were not just in poverty, that's not what the Bible says here, the Bible says they were literally in deep poverty they were extremely poor but how was god's grace working in their life well we noticed here a moment ago it was giving them incredible joy you see when the grace of god is evident and when the grace of god is being experienced even in the worst circumstances we can experience an abundance of joy it was giving them incredible joy but notice what else it was doing at the end of verse 2 It says this grace abounded unto the riches of their generosity. God's grace was doing something so big in their hearts. 
They were experiencing Christ in such a tremendous way. It was not just the head knowledge. This was something they were experiencing. They were experiencing the joy in the midst of difficult situations. They were experiencing this peace in the midst of persecution. God's grace was doing something very real, something very alive. The other thing that it did is it caused them to be generous, to be financially sacrificial. Notice this, verse number three. How how sacrificial? The Bible says here, for to their power... I bear record. He says literally they gave, they gave what they could. They gave their means is what it's saying. But that, it doesn't stop there. Notice the end of the verse. And beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. To do what? To sacrifice, to be generous, to give. Literally what Paul is saying, he's saying to the church at Corinth, they've, they've got some means. You're going you're gonna to read that later on in the passage. They have money. They have some amount of material wealth. They're not struggling the same way the churches at Macedonia are. And he says, even in the midst of that, he says, they were willing here uh, to give. He says this in verse number three, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power. They gave their means, now notice this, and they literally gave beyond their means. You say, that's crazy. How does that even happen? That's what the grace of God can produce in a life. God's grace can do something so big and so great that when God's grace is truly being experienced, I'm not just talking about going through the motions. I'm not just talking about, yeah, I believe in the grace of God. And and yes, we, we have this mental ascent to the gospel. But no, when God's grace is truly being experienced, when it's truly being felt and, and experienced in the life of an individual, it abounds. There is fruit And in this case, the fruit, the grace that was working in their heart, it gave them the ability to give their means and literally to give beyond their means. Notice verse 4. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of ministering to the saints. Now, you kind of maybe don't get the nuance here in this particular translation, but what you'll see here is he's literally saying, they're literally saying to Paul, we beg you, <laughs> we want you to take this money. We're, we, we pray with much entreaty, we're, we're begging you that you would take our money. Wow. These were people who were not just poor, these were people who were in deep poverty. And in a state of deep poverty, they're begging the Apostle Paul, Please, take these finances, use them for the sake of the gospel. Use it so that others may hear of Jesus Christ. You say, how did they do that? I mean, how is that even possible? How do you experience such joy in the midst of just this brokenness? How do you experience peace when everything around them is going wrong? How do they give, I mean, literally extravagantly, radically generous when they're not just poor they're in deep poverty i mean these are people who are having a hard time literally just putting food on the table and having a place to live and yet they're saying to the apostle paul we beg you please take this because their need for the gospel is greater than our physical need for food That's when you know the grace of God is being experienced. When there's joy in the midst of persecution and hardship and trial. 
when there's a peace that passeth all understanding, when there is a radical, extravagant generosity that God's grace does from the inside out. We're just, we're just kind of going through, but you say, how is this even possible? Notice verse 5. It, it kind of gives us some insight. And this they did. Now, you'll notice, I don't know exactly what Paul's trying to get to here, um, but he, he uses this phrase very specifically. He said they actually did this. And, and the reason I think he kind of emphasizes this a little bit is because as we're going to see in this passage, Corinth has been promising for about a year to do this. They've been talking about it. Yeah, we're, we're going to give. And I don't know exactly what was going on. I don't know if they were thinking to themselves, yeah, when, when the economy turns around, then we're going to give. <laughs> you know, when, when, when my financial situation gets a little better, then I'm going to give. I don't know what exactly, why this was happening, but the Bible does say they had promised a year earlier, but now a year had gone by and still hadn't actually happened. For whatever reason, it just didn't take place. And so the Apostle Paul is saying here, and this they did, not as we had hoped, but first, notice this, they gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. You say, how is this even possible? Honestly, this is only possible as you literally first give yourselves into response to what Jesus Christ has given to you. Verse 5 is kind of the linchpin a little bit of this particular passage. I'm going to say this. When someone has given themselves completely and wholly to God, our pocketbook just kind of follows suit. The Bible says it this way in Matthew, where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. The reason the churches at Macedonia, the church at Philippi, when we study the book at Philippi, some of us, we've gone through this before in studies. Uh, this is known as a very joy-filled book. The people at Philippi had incredible happiness. They had incredible joy. But they were suffering with much poverty. They didn't have much in the way of material gains. And yet, God's grace was still doing something so big in their heart. How was this possible? How did they give so extravagantly? How did they give so radically? Here's why. Because they had given themselves first. Can I say this? One of the, just kind of to fill this out, one of the marks that kind of reveals whether or not we've truly surrendered our hearts and our lives and our souls to literally the Lordship of Christ, how do we know this in ourselves? We know by what happens in response to generosity. He's going to say in a minute what this does is this literally proves, verse 8, he says, I speak not by commandment. He says, I'm not giving you a command. And I wouldn't stand here to give you a command for this either. I'm not standing up here saying, oh, you better do this or you're kind of, you're carnal. No, Paul says, this isn't a command. I'm not commanding that you give to missions. I'm not commanding that you give and be generous financially to worldwide evangelization. He says, I'm not saying this by command. And so I'm not saying it to you as a command. Notice what he says. I speak not by commandment that the occasion of forwardness or helpfulness, support of others, and, he says, I want you to do this for others. Why? To prove the sincerity of your love. To prove the sincerity of your love. Our minds are master manipulators. Every one of us, myself included, are experts at deceiving ourselves. 
We are masters at creating an illusion of who we are and what we're being. And we can convince ourselves of all whole, a host of things. We can convince ourselves we're good Christians, and we can convince ourselves that we're generous. We can convince ourselves of these that we really love God and we really love people. And so Paul says, you want to know one of the ways that you can prove? You want to know one of the ways that you know whether or not the gospel is real? in your own heart, that you're really experiencing the authentic thing in your heart and life, that it's not just a head thing, but you're really experiencing the grace of God. You're really experiencing true joy, and you're truly experiencing real peace, and you're really experiencing the fruit of the Spirit. How do we know? One of the indications that this thing is real is that there's a heart of generosity for, the, for others and for God, a love. He says, I, I do this, this is a proof, this shows the proof of your love. It proves the sincerity of your love. And that's, that's what he's saying here in this passage. You come here and, and notice as you get down to verse number 11. Now therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. So he says, hey, I know you've promised it. It's your, you, you've talked about it. You're, you're saying you're intending to do this. He says, I want, I want you to experience God's grace to actually do it. To actually do it. I, I wish I could say, and I, I'm, I hope you understand the spirit in this. I'm just kind of using this to help us get a grasp. On an annual basis, we'll take an opportunity to take up pledges for our missionaries. And I'm so thankful. We're, we have a church that's so radically generous and extravagant in their giving. And, and it's such a blessing to be able to help these missionaries and hear their stories and see what God's doing. But I will say this, just to be fully transparent. We've never had a year where what was committed actually came in. Not once. Not 20 years. Where that which was committed to missions specifically. And I'm not saying, well, you just, what'd you get, how do you guys get, leaders get in an office and you create a budget? No, we just take the pledges of whatever the church commits. And saying, hey, this is, what God, this is what you're saying God can do through you. And I understand, especially with economy and job situations and things come up, I, I, I completely understand it. But one of the marks is that one of the realities is simply this. As we are experiencing the grace of God, how do we know if it's real? How do we know if, what I'm, if, if I'm really experiencing the gospel? You say, but pastor, I can talk about it really well. I can teach it in my connection group. I can tell others about the nuances of the gospel. I, I can share with others the, the detail. That's great. But God gives us a different standard by which to measure whether or not this thing is authentic in our lives. He talks about this joy in the midst of persecution. He talks about radical, sacrificial extravagant generosity in the midst of poverty. He sees these are fruits that prove the sincerity of what it is you say you have. It proves it. Now, I want to just kind of walk away as we kind of conclude. I know it was a more lengthy introduction, but I wanted to give you the background. I wanted you to see it for yourself from the scriptures. And I want to give you just four quick takeaways from these passages that I hope will kind of help us to get a right perspective when it comes to our missions, global emphasis giving, to give to those in third world countries and to support missionaries and orphans and, and schools and, and be a part of these types of things. Number one, if you're taking notes, number one, it is the gospel that motivates our grace giving. You're going to see this in 8 verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do 
wants you to know of the grace of God bestowed on the church of Macedonia. You're going to see this word grace in these two chapters appear again and again and again and again. The Apostle Paul understands that none of what we're talking about is possible unless you are authentically experiencing the grace of God. Because radical, extravagant generosity is not natural. Nobody in and of themselves wants to give. Our human bent is leaning toward selfishness, stinginess, materialism, and greed. That's the natural bent of the human heart. And it's only as the grace of God, the grace of God, what's God's grace? It's a disposition that changes the inner constitution of our soul. It's only that grace that then can create a heart by which we can give. It all starts with the gospel. It's the gospel that motivates our grace giving. Notice verse number nine. For ye know, he's going to use this word again, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, notice this, though he was rich, think about it, the very son of God leaving the throne room of heaven to be born in a, a little stable, one who would tread on streets of gold now just plods along on roads of dirt, A God, literally, whose company was the angels, and he humbled himself, and now his company was some shepherds, some lowly human beings. He who was rich, for our sake, for your sake, he was willing to be made poor. This is the gospel. He goes on to say in verse number 9, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. This is for you. This is the gospel. The gospel is the great exchange. You give God your unrighteousness, and he gives you his imputed righteousness. You give him your sin. He gives you his forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace. This is the great exchange that is given to us in the gospel. And it is only through God's grace in the gospel that we'll even be at a point to give. If your mind is not operating on the plane of the gospel, then nothing we talk about will make any sense. Because one only radically gives and sacrificially and extravagantly gives when their heart has been gripped with what God has done for them. You see, it's logic, right? Before you and I can give, we first had to receive. Makes sense, doesn't it? And before we could receive, something had to be shared. The reason you possess is because God presented something to you. He gave to you so that you could have. And the gospel is living in a state of constant awareness of all that God has bestowed upon you. Do you live in that state? 
Are you regularly and daily and hourly captured by the wonder, the beauty, the majesty of all that God has bestowed upon you? Does your mind and your heart and your soul continually bask in the beauty and the riches of His grace? It's only as we live in the sphere of the gospel, it's only as we continually dwell in all that God has given to us, in all the riches that he has poured out upon us spiritually, that our heart is changed to want to give. You say, what if we're here and there's someone here and we're not giving? We don't give of our finances. I'm not going to be the pastor that stands up and tries to twist your arm and say, well, then you better start giving and try to like guilt this thing. That's not my motive and that's not my heart in this. If there are some individuals here and this is not a part of your lifestyle, this is not a habit, this is not an outflow of God's grace in the normal flow of your life, you say, what are you going to tell us? Give more? No, here's what I want to say to you. I want you to experience the gospel. I want you to go deeper into God's grace. I want you to remind yourself more of what Christ has done for you on a more regular basis. Day in and day out, allow your lens of what you see in life, allow it to interpret to you all that you have been given in Christ. I think this might be in your notes, but because we already have in Christ all that we need, and I believe that, I believe that everything we need for life and godliness is already ours in Christ. This is a promise to us from the word of God. Everything you need is already yours. Because everything we need, we already have in Christ. Now, as we realize that, as we truly experience it in every fiber of our being, we are now free from the shackles of trying to figure it out on our own. How's this going to work? And how's that going to work? And how am I going to do it? We're free from having to think about it. We're free from having to figure that out. We enter into a new economy. We move away from an earthly economy. We step into God's economy where God says, hey, you don't have to think about tomorrow. I take care of the grass i take care of the birds of the air and i will take care of you tomorrow you step into a heavenly economy where god promises to provide step into his world it's the gospel that motivates our grace giving first timothy chapter number six verse 17 says this charge them that are rich in this world now Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I don't think I'm rich. The reality is simply this. Even if you're living at poverty levels in America, you're among the top 10 percentile in the global community. So he says, charge them that are rich in this world. All right, He didn't say, I charge them that are rich in America. He says, I charge them that are rich in the world. So can I just say this? If, if, if you're an individual that's living above the poverty line in America, in the global community, you are rich by logical definition. I'm not saying there are not emotional struggles. And I'm not saying there are not financial tensions. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that you don't have worries and anxieties. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to communicate to you that this verse is for you. You're, you're part of the rich We always talk about the 1%, and the reality is 
most all of us are part of the 1% in the global economy. He says, charge them that are rich. What does Paul want Timothy to tell those that are rich in this world? He says that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. This is interesting because he says people like us, because Paul's talking to people like us, he says people like us have a tendency to trust in our money. And so he says, I want you to warn them, because this is the propensity of a rich heart, somebody who has funds, somebody who has a little money, the propensity, the leanings of their heart is to trust in that money. I find it ironic that the very, the very, very money that we so often trust in has written on it, in God we trust. As an ironic reminder that we're not supposed to trust in it, but in him. So he says, I want you to charge them that are rich. Charge them with what? That they don't trust in riches. Your hope for security is not your 401k. It is not how much money you make. Your ultimate hope when you're being lavished in the gospel, your hope and your trust is in the person of Christ. That's your hope. And if you find it's easier for you to hope in how much money you're making or in your job security or in your 401k, Paul has a, has a reminder for you. He says, I want to warn you about this. He says, don't trust in those uncertain riches. He does not say don't have uncertain riches. <laughs> it's a big difference. Money is not the root of all evil. The Bible declares it's the love of money, the trust in that. And so he's warning us. He says, but rather than trusting in that money, looking for that money to provide a secure future for next year, or looking to your finances to provide security for this season of your life, he says, I want you to get to a place where you're trusting, notice what he says, in the living God. You can trust God. That's what I'm saying. You can trust him. You can step out of this world's economy and you can step into Christ's economy. And he says, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. If God's blessed you with something, enjoy it. This is not a message to feel guilty. Well, I guess I shouldn't be an American. I should feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. If God's blessed you with a home, if he's blessed you with a beautiful vehicle, if he's blessed you with this thing, just, man, enjoy it. Thank God for it. Just don't trust in it. He says, he says, tell them that they should do good. Notice this, and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Now, this is another one of those terms that we, it's easy to misunderstand because literally this word communicate in the context, literally speaking of financial generosity. He's saying, I, I want you to be rich in your generosity, rich toward God's. It's the gospel that motivates our giving. If you're struggling to give, don't try harder to give. If you're struggling to be generous, get deeper into God's grace. Experience the gospel more and let his gospel and grace transform your heart and ask God to make your heart a generous heart. It's a proof of one who's truly experiencing what God is offering. Number two, we shouldn't allow our limited resources to keep us from growing in grace. Verse number two here. How that in a great trial of affliction and the abundance of their joy and in their deep poverty, it abounded unto the riches of their generosity. 
The churches at Macedonia didn't allow their financial condition to keep them from being generous. Their generosity was not based on their bank account ledger. Their generosity was not anchored to how much they had in an account. Their generosity was anchored to what Christ had done for them. Their generosity was anchored to all that Christ had did on their behalf. That's how they responded. They didn't look at their checkbook and then decide what they, t- what they were to give. They looked at Jesus. They looked at his grace. And they allowed that to inform what they would give. You see the difference, the paradigm shift. Someone once said it this way. Oh, that we would allow the consistency in giving, our consistency in giving, prove to others the sufficiency of God's grace. You say you trust in the grace of God. You say you trust in his sufficiency. You say that you trust that he will provide all of your needs. Let your extravagant generosity prove your belief in that reality. It's easy to talk the talk. Americans have gotten really good at this. I'm not, I'm saying let's experience God's grace. Let's experience the gospel because out of that place, when we're truly experiencing his grace, when we're truly experiencing his joy, when we're truly experiencing his peace, when we are basking in the riches of all that is ours in Christ, the natural outflow of that is a life that is extravagant in its generosity. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2 says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Number three. We shouldn't allow our maturity in other areas keep us from growing in grace giving. Notice verse number seven. You'll, you'll see this, okay? The Apostle Paul says in verse... Verse 7, therefore, he's saying to the church at Corinth, ye abound in everything, in faith and in utterance. You're abounding in knowledge, in diligence, and in your love to us. So the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, church at Corinth, you're doing a lot of things good. Man, he says, you're, you're abounding in your diligence and your service toward others. You're abounding in your love. You're doing so well in serving this group and serving that group. And Paul says, that's good. But he says this. He says, I want you to abound in this grace also. What grace is he speaking of? The grace of sacrificial, radical, extravagant giving. See, I know of Christians and they say, well, I know I don't give, but it's because I do this instead. I I would give, but I I find that I serve instead. That's a good thing. We should serve. We should abound in the grace of service. We should abound in the grace of love. We should abound in the grace of faith. These these things, we're experiencing God's grace and God's radically changing us from the inside out. It's going to abound in service and it's going to abound in faith. It's going to abound in these things. And Paul says, let's see God's grace abound in this grace also. Don't allow your service as a greeter, or in the parking lot, or in the homeless ministry, convince you that, oh, I'm good. Paul says, hey, let's abound in all these graces. 
let's, I want to encourage you, great, you're doing good. Don't, but let's not use our maturity in one area as an excuse in another area. This is common among Christians. See, if you're like me, you tend, when we're being unspirit-filled and carnal, we tend to judge everybody else by the areas we're mature in. Well, I, I, yeah, I might not give, but I do this, and they don't, so. And Paul says that's not really, a, that's not really an excuse. He says, I want you to abound in this grace also. This, this is the grace. When, when God's grace is really at work, this is what is going to take place. Somebody once said it this way, where your money goes, your heart flows. It's really difficult to separate your heart from your finances. Where your money goes, your heart's going to follow. This is one of the reasons I encourage people, let's get involved in worldwide missions. I want my heart to be connected and have a posture toward global, worldwide evangelization. I want that to be important to me. And so by faith, we give so that my heart will follow. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The Bible says wherever you place the treasure, your heart will eventually catch up to. That's why, guys, as you're working in that vehicle and you're spending money and time and energy on that, you know, fixing up that hot rod in the garage, it eventually your heart starts moving that direction. Why? Because that's where you're investing treasure. Wherever it is that you tend to invest in and purchase and put your finances, your heart, your, your affections tend to move in that direction. Lastly, there is a great promise tied to great grace giving. Now, notice this. Go to chapters number 9, verse number 6, and we'll close it up. He says in verse 6, I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. There's a promise. Now, I want you to notice in the verse before that, he does give us an important caveat that I think is interesting to note in verse number five. He says at the end of the verse, I give this as a matter not of covetousness. He says, says, don't make this a matter of covetousness. He kind of gives us this caveat. So Paul recognizes, hey, I'm going to share a spiritual reality. This is true. Those that sow bountifully reap bountifully. Those that sow sparingly reap sparingly. He says this is a spiritual fact. It is what it is. We could go to Luke. The Bible says in Luke chapter number 6, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. You'll see verse after verse where God promises to provide for those who are experiencing the grace of giving. He takes care of those. And he says in this passage, he says there is a promise to this. Don't make this a matter of covetousness. If you're like, well, so if I give God $10, he'll give me $11. And you see, once you orchestrate this into a a covetous transaction, so this is not a matter of covetousness. It's just a spiritual fact. I'll provide. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.